Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Well, uh, as uh, the providence of the Lord would have it, today we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about generational consequences and generational changes. So I'd like you to look at a, a neighbor, hopefully they're a friend, but uh, look at a neighbor. I'd like you to point at them and say, today. today. Come on, do a little better than that. Today, today. we're going to reverse, reverse. Generational, generational consequences and affect and generational, changes. generational changes. Now, why this is so important to me is, is, is it's just so real to me. Um, I had this experience that when my mother passed away, she passed away young at 61. And when she passed away, I got to speak at, at her funeral. And when I finished speaking, a number of relatives came up to, to talk to me. I had not met any of them. And uh, they came up and they began to talk about my mother to me. And they said, your mother was a beautiful young woman. Your mother was dearly loved. And they said, she could have had uh, this man marry her and that man marry her. And said, instead, she chose him. (laughs) And I realized right away, I was like, wow, this is fascinating. They basically are saying she was cursed in her marriage that that, that my father was either a curse or they cursed my father, either way. And I started to realize, wow, this is significant. So I began to do what's called spiritual mapping. I began to map my history. I began to map my family history. My mother's family is a, a very, like a subculture, lived in Louisiana, French, They had never bowed the knee to the English, so they lived kind of in rebellion and self-sufficiency. But something had happened. There was a sociological study on the people that are my mother's ancestors. And what it said is that the women always chose men who would be unfaithful to them. They always chose and were attracted to men who would betray them, who would abuse them, who would be uh, men who were unrighteous in all their actions. And the conclusion was that in this society, which had kind of evolved into a somewhat matriarchal society, it was on a passive-aggressive way, it was they became the leaders because they were martyrs. They actually enjoyed, if you could call it enjoyment, complaining about their husbands complaining about the fathers, complaining about the men, and in doing so then thought it was right and fitting that they should have control through their martyrdom. And as I looked at my, my family background, I saw every, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, I saw in every generation they had chosen men who abused them, who betrayed them, who didn't provide well for them, who cheated on them, and every one of them lived their lives as martyrs. And I began to realize that that was a consequence that my father was living with. So if he's living with it, I'm living with it. And if I don't do something about it, then my son's going to live with it. 
And so I began to, to study and research this. And I said, how do we change the fortunes or the consequences for my father, for me, for my son, and any sons and daughters who follow after? And I began to realize the issue is spiritual. It is a spiritual issue. And there is a way to attack these consequences and to reverse them so that then we have generational blessings instead of curses. And so I called up my father and I said, Dad, I've discovered something. I think this is really significant. And when I called him, he was going bankrupt. My mother's medical bills had bankrupted him. He said to me, I don't know if I'll ever be able to retire. I know I'll never own another house. I've lost everything. I called up my son. I was talking to my son. My son was living on about one meal a day because musicians don't make a lot of money. You can be a starving artist for a while. You just can't starve forever. And so I'm sitting here going, this is, this is desperate. The males in my life are living under something that is limiting them, consequences that they don't even understand, and that now we have to, we have to deal with. So I told my dad, I said, Dad, I believe we can reverse this. My dad said, I'm more afraid of the prayer you want to pray than the curse you say I have. <laughs> And I knew my son wasn't ready for it. Because sometimes people are just not ready. I hope you're here today because you're ready for it. Because they weren't ready for it. So here's what I know. In the Bible, there's a thing called identificational repentance. That you don't necessarily have to be the person. You can identify for the person and repent for those who can't repent for themselves. So I stood in the gap for my father, for my son, for the males in my family myself and I prayed and so two weeks after I prayed this prayer after I'd done all this work a couple weeks later my father calls up he says son I don't know how this happened but I got an inheritance from a relative I didn't even know and he said I paid off all of my debt got out of bankruptcy and I actually have enough money for a down payment on a house I said you don't know how that happened I know how that happened and I, I, you have to be careful, especially when you're dealing with your children in these things, and be careful about it. So a lot of what I did for my son was stealth. You know, it was quietly. I wasn't trying. All I was trying to do is not take credit for his success, but clear the way for his success. And so he began to see everything turn around. He called up. He said, someone has offered to back a restaurant for me. He opened his first restaurant. He's opened his second one. And his music career is flourishing. Look, you clear the air so that your children and your children's children can live in blessing instead of the consequences of generations past. You have to understand that this is a spiritual issue, not merely economical. It's not merely educational. It's not merely anything. There has to be a spiritual root and the Bible teaches this very clearly. Now, why I'm saying this to you is because you have a real enemy. Your real enemy is like a criminal. All right. So if you're in a situation where there's a criminal and there's a, a policeman, the policeman has authority under the law, not outside of the law, but under the law, the policeman has authority to use his weapon in order to guard and protect and to enforce the law. The criminal, however, has the same weapon. Not the same right, not the same legitimacy, but the criminal has firepower. 
Well, you have to understand that Satan doesn't have a legitimate right to you, and that's really important that you understand this. If you are in Christ, his right has been broken. It's not legitimate, but he's a criminal. So he is looking for any access he can find so that he can use the firepower that he has to bring about consequences that can destroy your family, destroy you, and make it to where at least you are never able to fulfill or realize the fullness of all God has for you in your destiny. And so he looks for access. Now the major access that Satan looks for is he looks for a way through the legalities of the scriptures because he knows the Bible probably better than you do. And he looks for legalities that he can use as a means of access. Again, what he does is illegitimate, but if you don't know what he's doing, you won't stop him. But once he is identified and you begin to understand what he's doing, you have the authority to say, you can't bring that gun in my life. You cannot fire it on me or on my family. And you can begin to take authority over these places. But the access that the enemy uses is primarily, his, his primary access is through this passage in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the commandment about idolatry. It's the commandment about the graven image. And so I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Listen to what the Lord says to his people about how they're to live. All right? So let's read this out loud. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand of those who love me and keep my commandments. Satan is a master lawyer, but he's also a master psychologist. He has kept files on your family's weaknesses. He, he designs carefully temptations, accusations that will work on you. And so he looks at this and he knows that in your family background there is idolatry. There are things that your family, you as well, have used to somehow give you life, to give you acceptance, to give you love, to give you power, to give you control. Many of us, because we believe we have to survive, have used whatever means available in order to survive. And Satan knows all of these things. He knows all of this background. And so he has carefully designed to continue prosecuting the same consequences generation after generation because they work. And as a matter of fact, he can keep it simple because as long as it works, he doesn't have to create anything new. And until you say, I am not going to play this game anymore, and you're going to stand up to him on the basis not of your own righteousness, not on the basis of your own strength, but because you are in Christ, and because Christ has paid the price, and Christ has taken you out of the curse of the law, and he's put you into the blessing of his own lineage, until you actively do that, Satan will continue to prosecute curses, that go back generations in your life. Now, the way that these 
curses actually look. Now, some people don't like that I call it curses. But listen, you could, I, I don't mind calling them consequences. Okay, These are generational consequences. What happens in one generation is transferred to the next. It's transferred very easily, in fact, and they are patterns of sin that are treated like their normal family operation. We do numerous things to reinforce sinful patterns in our children's lives. We say things like, our family doesn't talk like that. Our family doesn't act like that. You should be ashamed of yourself. You have dishonored your family. You have disrespected your family. We're, uh, we're immediately putting into their mind that they've got to make their family an idol. Their family is what they answer to. Their family is what motivates them. And you see, the idols that really trip us up are not evil idols. They're good idols. There are things that we have decided are ultimate and are ultimately worth protecting, ultimately worth defending and, and attacking or whatever it might be. And so, I mean, just think of all the little sayings that family has. We don't air our dirty laundry in public. You don't speak ill of the dead. Ah, these kind of things are meant to muzzle you. They're meant to keep you from speaking honestly and truthfully. Some of you will begin to tell stories of the abuse you suffered or, or stories of how deprived your childhood was. And immediately you edit yourself and say, but they were good people. Oh, uh, you know, they did their best. They did the best they could. And so instead of getting healing, you're now defending their sin patterns. Which means if you defend them, you're passing them on. These patterns are basically spiritual scars in our life. What's so hard for us is to realize that we can be honest about people and that's not showing them any disrespect. And when we're honest, we're actually getting at the scars that we need healing from. You can still love someone and know they scarred you. You can still have respect for them, but you're being honest about them. The truth is, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not honest. Because he, he doesn't fill the places you won't let him come. And as a matter of fact, I've never seen anyone who's argued into healing. They have to decide they want healing for themselves. And in order to be healed, sometimes you have to look at the very painful things. Many of them, things that were normal to you as a child, are the things that are still patterns that are plaguing you as an adult they're very real consequences. And what happens is because we don't bring these out in the light, we pass them on to our children. They come forth in sayings. They come forth in different ways that, that we speak about things. These negative repercussions then can go across many generations. I mean, think about this. I, I've heard this in many families. When my father was an angry man and his father was an angry man, so I'm an angry man. My father was unfaithful to his wife. I'm unfaithful to my wife. You see, we began to get this kind of passive acceptance that that's who we are because that's what we saw. Look, you don't have to follow in the generation of any other person than the person of Jesus Christ. And he was a faithful man. He was a pure man. Any of you that say to yourself, well, my mother was a worrier. My grandmother was a worrier. So I'm a worrier. Look, it has to come to the place where you realize what Jesus says about you is more real than what your mother said about you. 
Well, these things kind of come in all shapes and sizes. And what we see with a lot of people is they're unwilling to address these, so they destabilize you. And you're always wondering why you can't get a consistent sense of blessing. Well, you can't get a consistent sense of blessing until you're willing to deal with the root issues, which most of them come from these patterns that you learn from your family. You see, these are generational issues. Now, why is this so important? Because the whole of the Bible, God introduces himself as a generational God. When he tells his name, when he refers to himself, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a generational God speaking out of the generation. But more than that, his desire for you is that you would so understand that you are a new generation that can then pass down the righteousness of Christ in you to the next generation. That Psalm 145 says, one generation shall praise your name to another generation. It's time for us to not be those people who say, well, this is all I inherited. This is all I got. No, you have inherited everything that Christ is. You have inherited everything that Christ has done. There is not a limitation in you that you're not putting on yourself. Because Peter says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. But you have to begin to stand up to it actively. When I, when I looked at Deuteronomy and studied Deuteronomy, it is fascinating the curses that are there. Curses for disobedience. Curses for living a life apart from Christ. They're, they are simple things, but they are powerful things. Financial difficulty. The Bible says financial difficulty is a curse quite often that comes out of disobedience. It's a consequence. Untimely death, suicides, the Bible says, is an example of cursing. Do you know how many people I've talked to who said, well, my dad died early, his dad died early, my brother died early? You know what you have to do is you have to stand up and say, I'm not in that lineage anymore. I will not die till Jesus takes me home. I shall live and surely not die. I will have fullness of life. But you see, you can't just passively do that because in your head you're going, my dad died, my brother died. I guess it's up to me to die too. And you have a little voice saying, you're going to die just like they did. Same thing with divorce. Do you know how easy once one family has divorced, the next generation and the next? Because there's no model of family for, the, for them to hold on to. And so you have to take your stand and say, wait a minute, there's been an attack on my family that we don't have healthy marriages. And you begin to speak up and you begin to say, that's not going to happen in my generation. Come on, I'm giving you good stuff and you're hardly reacting. That's not going to happen in my generation. <laughs> I mean, think about this. The whole word generation is so scriptural because God created you to generate. Think about it. You were, you were made for this. So think about how powerful your physical DNA is. I mean, I was just watching an announcement for prayer meetings, and my dad was up on the screen. <laughs> How did he get up there? I know I'm younger than that. I mean, sometimes I laugh and I go, How did my dad get in my throat to laugh like that? I mean, I tried as hard as I could not to be him. I am him. Oh, my goodness. And if physical DNA is that powerful, 
Isn't that just a picture of how powerful spiritual DNA is? Do you not understand why John writes, you must be born again? Because if you're not born of the Spirit, then you only have the DNA of your parents. And if you have the DNA of your parents, even if they were good parents, and you die in your sin, your parents can't protect you from death. But if you are born again in the Spirit of Christ, and Christ Himself is alive in you, then Christ Himself came and entered death for you, and He blew the door out the backside of death, and He says, come follow me to life. Are you hearing me? I think you are. So think about this. This is very relevant. In Ezekiel chapter 18, God says, I got a problem with this generation. And he says, you're speaking these proverbs to one another, and I want you to stop because they're not the truth. So here's the proverb. It's verse 2 of Ezekiel 18. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, but the children's teeth are on edge. And there's a, there's a double meaning to this proverb, and God goes after both of them. So the, the, the children were saying, we can't help ourselves. This is the lot that we've inherited. This is our parents' fault. And because it's our parents' fault, we can't do any better than we're doing. And so they're using the sins of a past generation to rationalize and justify the sins of their generation. And God says, no. I call you to account for your generation. And then the, the worst of, the, of it is that the existing parents were basically saying, we can do whatever we want to do. There'll be no consequences to us. And who cares if the consequences are our children's consequence? So there's this, this, this I'm going to be me generation. I'm going to do what I feel, generation. I don't care about consequences. I don't care what it does to anybody else. And God speaks to that generation and says, Whoa, wake up. I am coming against you. I'm not going to allow you to do what you think you're doing. You will live with the consequences of what you're doing. And it won't simply be that your teeth of your children are set on edge. You're going to taste the sour grapes. Come on. You hear what God's saying. See, if you're sitting here today and you say, well, my parents gave me nothing. I got no advantages in life. I wasn't loved. I'm deprived. God says, wake up. Do not use the excuse of the past as a reason to keep you from your future. I'm the Lord your God. I can take you from where you've been and take you where you could never go, but you always wanted to go there. But also, those of us of this generation who have said, hey, look, we're just going to get through this and then we're going to leave the mess for the next one. God says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. You need to wake up right now because you can transform the generations to come just by one person in your family saying, Lord, I'm going to be an instrument of blessing. I'm going to end this curse. I'm going to stop letting the males in my family be cursed. I'm going to let, stop letting the females in the family be cursed. We're going, to be, we're going to be a generation of righteousness. It becomes an oak of righteousness that gives double portion of blessing to every generation that comes. But you have to decide. Nobody, that, that's, what this, that's what Ezekiel is saying. You could go with the crowd. You could go with the flow. You could do all of that. And what's going to happen is you're going to live by a proverb that God is opposed to. Or you can say, I'm going to stand up to the current.
I'm going to stand up. And, I'm, and, and, and I believe that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 6. He says, having done everything to stand, stand. Come on, you can make a difference. Maybe nobody made a difference for you. And sometimes that, that gets into us and says, why didn't they do this for me? And God says, look, I'm doing it for you. I am the Lord. I am your father. I am your friend. I'm going to take you out of that lineage of cursing, those three and four generations of curses. And I'm going to make a thousand generations of those who love me through you. Let me do it. Well, this isn't easy. I'm not saying it is. Because every single family has a family model. And guess what happened? Whatever you think about family is the model you lived in. That's what we, we just, we catch a whole lot more than is taught to us. More is caught than taught. And so what you have to begin to do is ask some questions. If you want to really go the next step, you have to say, does the model that I lived with work? And if it doesn't work, why am I still using it? Now think about this with me. There are things you believe about yourself, you believe about your capabilities, you believe about your life because they were told to you till you were about 11 or 12 years old. Studies show that up until the time you're about 11 or 12 years old, the way we form our identity is by what other people say about us. The most important words come from adults. So if you heard up till the time you're 11, you're lazy, you will tend to think you're lazy. If you heard you were stupid, you will tend to think you're stupid. If, if you were told, you know, you're not that beautiful, but you're smart, you know, then you say, well, I'm not beautiful, but I'm, uh, thankfully I'm smart. And you believe those kind of things. My father constantly said to me, do I pay you to be good? I said, no, Dad. He says, then you're good for nothing. And I knew what he meant by that. He meant you're not worth anything to me. You cost me. You cost me food. You cost me a place in a house. You cost me clothes. Now, here's my father's screwed up thinking. He was trying to teach me gratitude. Dad, that's no way to teach gratitude. All right, he's trying to teach me to be grateful. You know what it taught me? Is that I was worthless. And so what I, what I did as a small boy, I said, if I can be extraordinary, then he'll have to realize I have worth. And so I never was content with being ordinary I wanted to be extraordinary. So I developed almost an addiction to people delighting in me because my father thought I was worthless. Now, if I continue now at 60 to live out of that place, any one of you could make me feel like a failure and worthless because it's possible you don't always delight in me. Now, I'm hoping you will, but... uh, You understand what I'm saying. What happens is you become a slave to something that you heard over and over again. And unless you're willing to look at that and say, why did I believe that? And how is that working for me? That default setting will stay there until you reboot your identity. Now, the way that we do this it's really important that you realize that that wasn't just your dad or your mom or your coach. Really and truly, friends, there has been an assignment against you from the beginning of time. As a matter of fact, we call the spirits that do this, we call them familiar spirits. Because familiar means family. 
In other words, they've been assigned to your family since, since the beginning, since the fall. And you see, if God loves the family, Satan always hates what God loves. God exists in family. He even identifies himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit family. And so what we begin to realize is that Satan's agenda is very simple to understand. He wants to render you passive so you will believe you are who you were always told you were. So if he were called stupid, or if you're, even if you're spoiled and indulged, it was a plan of the enemy. If you're selfish and narcissistic and all of that, all of that has a spiritual dimension. There was an assignment against you to render you passive so you would believe things about yourself. And even though they aren't true, for you they are true. So that, for example, in, in my case, so I'm saying I'm worthless unless I'm extraordinary. So when I screw up, I started doing this. You're so stupid. You never do anything right. Now, I don't know about you, but the test, the research says that when you're putting yourself down, you're not getting better. You're getting worse. You're not more motivated. You're less. You're not more able. You're more limited. And so those, those words, those consequences, should be understood, in my mind, as curses. Curses that we speak over ourselves. Curses that others have spoken over. Now, some people don't like the idea of curse because they think like curses are something you have to, like spells you have to cast or voodoo you have to do or whatever it might be. But the truth is, if something's not a blessing, friends, then it's a curse. If a consequence in your life is not a blessing, then it's the opposite. There's not some middle ground of no curse, no blessing. There's either blessing or there's curse. As a matter of fact, when God, when God commissioned the prophets, He commissioned them to speak blessing or to speak curses. That was the only thing He gave them to do. There was no in-between ground. There was no Switzerland that was neutral. There was either blessing ground or cursing ground. And so when we begin to realize that we have accepted anger as if it's natural for us, but you realize you've been playing with a demon that was assigned to your family. And instead of fighting them, you have given in to them. Worry, fear, financial need. Even, even when, you look at the, when you look at Deuteronomy, it says accident proneness can be a curse. So when I read that and I studied that, I, I started to see something that was really interesting. My 16-year-old son at the time, this is 22 years ago, but... This is my 16-year-old son, you know, shot up to like 6'3", which he was falling down all the time. And at first I just thought, well, he grew too fast. But he was falling down, and I mean, it wasn't even grass tripping him. I mean, it was just like falling down, skinning his knee, break, you know, hurting his hand, hurting himself all the time. I said, well, what if this is a curse against him? And, and Lisa said, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe we should bind this curse and break this curse. So we said, Joseph, we know this is weird, but we're going to break a curse over you in the name of Jesus. He never fell down again. Never got hurt. No more accidents. You know, saved us a lot of money at the hospital, all kinds of stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have assumed physical source when it could be spiritual because the scripture says it is a spiritual issue. I remember a whole mission team was wiped out in Colombia 
by automobile accidents. I mean, a, a child died. One of the missionary children died. Numerous missionaries were incapacitated. And all they said was, man, it's really tough to drive in Bogota. I said, maybe it's a spiritual issue that the enemy has used automobile accidents as a way to take you out. And instead of standing up and saying it's spiritual, you gave in and said it's just a tough place to drive. Are you hearing me? Are you seeing some of the things in your life that maybe need to be addressed? Some of the relationship issues, some of your own health issues, perhaps some of the accidents, the different things in your life. Because you see, if you are in Christ, you are no longer in the lineage to that third and fourth generation of punishment. You have stepped out of that lineage, stepped into Christ and into his lineage. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. You have a new heritage. And the heritage that you have is that Christ took the curse so that you could have blessing. He didn't take the curse so you could have more curses. Look at, look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us. In other words, he has completely canceled out the curse. He's paid what was owed to the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. God will never ask two payments for the same sin. And so what we see here is Satan has blinded many of us as Christians to where we're saying, well, that's what happened to my mother. That's what happened to my father. It happened to my brother. This is just the way it is for my family. No, I, that's not my family. I love my parents, but I'm not going to die in my parents because I would die in their sins. I'm going to die in Christ who died for my sins and then I will live forever with Christ, risen with Him, seated at the right hand of the Father with Him, forever with the Lord. I will be absent from this body, but I will be present with the Lord. You see, and this is where your stand has to be made now. I'm not over there under the curse. I'm over here redeemed from the curse. Now you begin to put up your hand like a traffic cop and said, no more. And it stops with you and it doesn't get to get to your children. And you can even stand up for other people and represent them if they can't represent themselves until the day they do represent themselves. Come on, don't make me do all the work here. Are you just listening really intently? Is that it? I'm telling you, you, this is something you've got to start being able to do. All right, so let's practice. Get your hand up like a cop. Come on. What do you, what is it that, I mean, the spirit is speaking to you. Is it divorce that's happening? Is it health issues? Is it financial? It, it, today is the day to say, hey, you've gotten inside, but you're not doing it anymore. Okay? So he, here's what we're going to do. I'd love to tell you all the rest of it. You can watch the other uh, live stream if you want. I have too much more to go, and she's sitting at the piano there. <laughs> I think this is the important place. So I want you to stand up with your hand up, all right? Hey, sometimes I just like the rhymes I come up with. Stand up with your hand up. I like that. All right? So the, the reality is that by nature, you and your family have let the criminal in. And the criminal has a gun. But today... 
you have been authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ to evict the criminal. Not just for you and your generation, but for generations to come. And what I found is even though my father wouldn't step into it with me, I could step into it for him. Okay? So I, I believe you are you're a crossroads right here. You're a crossroads for the generations before you, and you're a crossroads for generations after you. Because you know what? Even though they might have messed with us and hurt us, many of us still love them. And we still really want them to prosper. Even those who have done us wrong, we want them to be changed. You know, I, I see so much of why my father did what he did, why my mother did, and I love them and I want them to have the blessing that I've come to know in Christ. And so I'm willing to forgive and to let go, but I want blessing for the whole family. I want blessing for Lisa's family. I want blessing, okay? That's what... I, it's just so on my heart right now. I'm sorry I'm kind of lingering here, but I just feel so much emotion about this. And I believe you're here today to change family futures, to affect generational change. And you might say, who am I to do this? It's not really about who you are. It's about who Jesus is in you. Because Jesus is the generation changer. All right? So first we're going to pray. All right, we're praying to our Heavenly Father. God is family. And God has put you in His family. You get to call Him Father. We're going to pray, and then we're going we're to speak to those spirits, those criminals, and we're going to take their guns away. All right? You ready? Let's pray together. It's right up there. Heavenly Father, I submit unto you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I confess that I have given place to evil spirits of my forefathers. I receive your forgiveness for my sins and the sins of my forefathers as they have stood against me. I renounce all bondage from my lineage and proclaim my new lineage is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I proclaim that I am a child of God I receive the freedom from all bondage from my lineage passed down to me from my father and mother back to the third and fourth generation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now that was to God. All right, now when you speak to the familiar spirits, to these that are prosecuting these curses, it's not prayer, it's a declaration. All right, this is you being the policeman with authority. All right, so let's do this together. And I don't, I think sometimes you should pound your fist a little bit because if you know what they've done to your family, it should make you mad. I mean, think about the abuse, the neglect, the anger, just the things that have destroyed us. And they, it says, we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We're coming against this assignment. All right, so you ready? I come against all evil spirits of the lineage of my father and my mother back to the third and fourth generation, and I break your hold over me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have submitted to my God and have claimed my new lineage in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you cannot stay. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I command you to leave my mind and my flesh and go directly to the pit of hell 
right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I break all spoken and unspoken curses and I command all evil spirits from curses to go straight to the pit of hell right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you just two things on this. One is, I don't always tell them to go to the pit of hell. Most of the time, I say, I send you to the feet of Jesus and go where he sends you. But I, I have to tell you, these, these evil spirits have been messing with my family. It makes me angry. The things I've seen that have happened, the destruction of marriages and young children and all kinds of things. And I'm like, these don't have a right to be anywhere but the pit of hell just a sense of just finality you don't get to come back you don't get to prosecute anymore me or anyone who follows me and uh the other thing is this okay and this is the last thing that i'll say to you and call i'm going to call right now for prayer ministers would you come forward for me um what i've given you is general okay this is a very powerful general declaration powerful general prayer the Holy Spirit, though, is going to get very specific with you. Financial issues, God's going to want you to come and break those. God's going to want you to break relationship issues. He's going to want you to break health issues. So the more specific you get, the more freedom you get. So what we do is we've got a safe place up here um, where you can come and say, this is what I want to see broken. And then you agree with someone in prayer. And you will see breakthroughs. Now, the other thing is this. You may, over the course of this week, you may have some memories that come. If they come up, give them to the Lord. Give them to the Lord. Just begin to let let the mess of your life flow into the Holy Spirit. He alone can handle the mess. He's the only one who can produce fruit. You can do works of the flesh, but only He can produce fruit. And so He wants you to come all messy. He loves a hot mess. Okay? He doesn't like people who try to clean it up, put a mask on it, put a costume on it. He likes people who are just mascara running everywhere, snot just coming out their noses. That is beautiful to the Holy Spirit. All right? Because then He knows you're real. He knows you're getting at it. All right? So, Lord, we seal what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come and have a prayer. God bless you. See you next week.